0: You know, we, we so easily misunderstand uh, things uh, in this life. And I think one of the things that social media has, um, you know, shown us uh, um, amongst a whole, you know, basketful of things is that we, we're, we very easily misunderstand what people are saying and what their intentions are behind their words. And so, you know, you, you've seen those long threads where, you know, somebody posts something and then there's, you know, you know, 200 follow-ups that completely misconstrue what, what the person said. And he's trying to say, that's not what I was saying. If you just read my, my original post, that's not what I was trying to say. And, man, we have such a habit as humans of misunderstanding people. And so it, it kind of makes sense that when we go to God's Word, we tend to read into it a little bit, or we, we misunderstand what the intention is behind some of these passages. That's what we've been doing the last three weeks. This is the last... A week and a four-week series of just trying to dig into some really popular passages of scripture that maybe you've heard, maybe you haven't heard, um, but maybe they sound familiar because they've kind of become part of our, our culture a little bit, and we want to understand them a little more rightly maybe than we have in the past. And so we're going to finish up with Jeremiah uh, chapter 29, a really famous passage that we're going to read here in a minute, but I want you to envision this as we start. I want you to envision the story of a young man uh, whose father owns a large, let's just say global corporation. And after this guy graduates from his Ivy league school, his father tells him, I have plans for you. And my plans are that this company I built will be yours for as long as you stay close to our family and you don't leave to pursue any other opportunities. So if that sounds good, the dad says, I'll see you at work tomorrow bright and early, right? They hadn't, you know, moved to their 10 a.m. star time like we did quite yet. Now naturally the son is ecstatic when he thinks about this, this billion dollar corporation that is all his for the taking. So he arrives at work the first day and his dad curiously sends him to meet the head of the maintenance crew. And when he arrives, the maintenance chief hands him a uniform, a mop, and a bucket and says, I think I'll have you begin cleaning in the basement today. Now, of course, the son is confused and then he becomes outraged. And as he throws down the mop, he rushes into his father's office to ask for an explanation. He says, I thought you said the company was mine. Did I I mishear you? When we had this conversation yesterday, why am I mopping floors? I have a degree from Yale. The dad said, oh, well, the company is yours, but whether you make it through the ranks to a higher position, completely unknown at this time. What's most important is that you learn how to work well in the maintenance department of your company. Now, what this story does is that it, it kind of sets the tone for a passage that we're going to read in the book of Jeremiah that, man, I, you've had to have heard this quoted at high school and college graduations for years. Let's go to verse 11 just to begin. And this is the passage. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And if you just stop there, if you don't read what goes before that, if you don't read what comes after that, it sounds fantastic. I'm all in on that. And if we apply it directly to ourselves in 2021, man, that's that is the passage that I need. It feels triumphant. It feels like the end of a movie where God has everything in my life worked out just the way that I wanted. It's like what Willy Wonka said to Charlie Bucket at the end of Willy Wonka and the Charlotte Factory. Don't forget what happened to the man who suddenly got everything he wanted. Charlie says what? He lived happily ever after. I mean, that's it right there. It's the wisdom of Wonka, right? It's what we want to hear. It's what our hearts Are drawn to but here's my question what if the plans God has for us include a different future than the ones that we envision and have planned in other words what if the plans God has for you are more about having you wait for something better than having all of your wishes come true in the moment or even into the future That's what we're going to unpack today as we look in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, and kind of the corresponding verses before and after. But a little background, because we need to know a little something about who Jeremiah was and what it is that he was driving at that made him come to this particular word from the Lord that he offered the people of Israel. Well, what we know if we look into the background of Jeremiah and what was going on while he was this Old Testament prophet of Israel is that this was a season of darkness. This was a season of despair for God's people, the Israelites, all of their kings, all of their leaders were living lives just full of corruption. And the people had followed these corrupt patterns of their leaders. One of the things they did was they intermarried with all the surrounding pagan nations around them and they began worshiping their false gods. And that was just a pattern with the Israelites is they would get in with other nations that didn't follow the Lord, that didn't obey his commands. And they, instead of influencing them, they became influenced by them. They would adopt the false gods and idols of those surrounding nations. They would walk away from the true and living God. and They had broken the covenant that God had established with his people when he delivered them from slavery in Egypt. And there were consequences for their unfaithfulness. God told them, he said, look, there's consequences if you don't obey my commands. So God raised up prophets like this dude, Jeremiah, whose task it was to pronounce judgment against God's people and the judgment that he was getting ready to pronounce on them at this period in the life of the nation was that they would be captured by their enemies and brought into a period of exile that would last 70 years, 70 years. I'm like six months away from having even, you know, lived that long on this life, right? But that's a long time, 70 years. And interestingly, listen to this. There were also false prophets that arose at that time. One of them was named Hananiah. He came up with a counter prophecy. He prophesied that the exile was only going to last two years, which obviously was a direct contradiction to Jeremiah's prophecy, which had come from the Lord. Now, man, if you're an Israelite, um, man, Hananiah's prophecy sounded sweet, right? I mean, not sweet. Nobody wants to go into exile, but a little more palatable a little more appealing you might think I like I like that Hananiah dude I like what he has to say Jeremiah so full of gloom and doom 70 years I like the positive messaging here I feel a little more drawn to that that's the side I want to jump to that's what I want to believe contrary to might be to to what maybe the popular opinion was uh in that particular moment the problem is that God didn't say two years. He said 70 years. So he destroyed Hananiah for being a false prophet. So these next 70 years, not two years to be clear, man, these were going to be long, hard seasons for the Israelites. And many of them, by the way, would never live to see the end of that exile. But what this does is it gives us a little context to the verse that we're looking at today, which we're gonna actually begin in verse 10. And let's just pick up there. And it says this. Then the prophet Hananiah, oh, I'm sorry, I was in 28. For 2910, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. And I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with, your, with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. So we see how much it helps to understand the context from which this verse actually comes from instead of taking it to mean something personal and something that only suits our personal hopes and dreams for the future. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna look at three perspectives that these passages tell us about the future, about hope, and about pursuits, okay? The first thing is this, that we see coming from these passages. The future is always God's business. The future is always God's business. Man, we're funny about our futures. We're funny about the way we, we uh, interpret the future. We're funny about the way that we think about the future. For some of us, we're just afraid of it coming. We're afraid of it passing us by, maybe when it does come, whatever that means. We're afraid of what will happen if it goes badly on our way there, or if we don't achieve what we set out to do when we get there. So the future is this big unwritten thing that we're constantly trying to write out and figure out how to make it go exactly the way that we want it to go, which is awesome, except 10 for 10, it never does. And if we were all to come up here, grab the mic from Kyle and just give like a one minute testimony about how true that is, it would be 100% true. Nobody would come up here and go, you know, that's so funny, man, because the future has just been, it's been exactly how I dreamed it, exactly how I planned it. Nothing's there's never been just one inch of it. That's been out of what I designed. It's impossible. We'd get 10 for 10 on that, right? But God has a different view. Of our future. He had a different view of the future that he was designing and planning for the Israelites. Why is that? Why does God's future not line up with our vision of our future? Well, it's really simple, actually. And the main reason is that his glory, we learned about this a couple weeks ago, his glory takes precedence over everything. His glory takes precedence over all. So when you start understanding, listen to this, every event in your life based on God's glory and the furthering of God's glory, you begin to see obedience as the best option for your future. This is where the Israelites completely had all these missteps. They stepped into a future that was absent of obedience to God. God was always calling them back because of his grace and his mercy and his love for them. God was always calling his people back from idolatry, from adopting the worship practices of other nations that resulted in them being captured into exile. And that's a picture of what happens to a person when they ignore the commands of God and they do what is right in their own eyes. They go into spiritual exile. The future that God has for you and for me is one where you are walking with him. You are following him with a heart whose awe and affection for him increases, which happens not when we follow and we drift off into the idol worship of our culture and our day but it happens when we daily confess and repent of the idols that threatens to consume us from the culture that we're living in but it's acknowledging that it's seeing that it's not misunderstanding that it's understanding something about the things that are constantly creeping in to thwart us by consuming our affections so the future is always God's business, but this is the future God had for his people, was to draw them back to himself. And by the way, this was a people that had repeatedly walked away from obedience to him. A people a lot, a lot like us, right? The future is always God's business. But his plan for your future and for my future isn't so much what you'll be doing as who you are becoming. That's the difference. That's what's so hard, right? Because to be honest, I'm a little more concerned about what I'm doing than who it is that I'm becoming based on what God is doing in me. Because I know the things that shape me. Because I know the things that have to happen to me for this thing in here that's beating right now to change and be reshaped and be reformed. This was God's desired future for the Israelites. Even though they had walked away from him, they'd be entering into exile. But the greater exile was a spiritual one that God wanted to deliver them from. This was how he was doing it. So the future is always God's business. Secondly, we see from this, these passages that hope increases as faith in God grows. That's the implication of what Jeremiah is laying out to us here from the word of the Lord. By the way, this is how I like to think of it. God wants to edit your hope. Because you know, you know what's wrong with our hope? It's not hopeful enough. ever think about that man I just hope I hope this happens I hope I get this thing I hope I achieve this goal nothing wrong with that but it's not enough it's not hopeful enough right so what does God do with the futures that he has planned for you he is editing your hope where would we be without editing in our lives right the majority of what we do is editing in every aspect of our lives. And what is editing? Well, it's just really the process of adding and subtracting from something in order to make it better or to make it clearer, to make it make more sense. I had to write a paper for, for a class that I'm in yesterday that I probably spent more time editing than writing. At the end of the day, all I was doing was editing. I guess that means I'm not a great writer. You guys can say it. I know you're thinking that right now. But here's what God does. He edits your hope. He writes new and hard things into your life to produce a more hope-filled you. What he's doing with your hope is he's making it more solid. He's making it more secure. He's making it more satisfying. He's making your hope more hopeful because he's redirecting the end game of it. Which is not on your dreams and your plans and your visions for the future. Which, by the way, again, I'm going to qualify this all the way through the rest of this sermon. Are not necessarily wrong or bad things. But God has something else in mind through the dreams, the plans, and the visions. Whether they ever come to fruition. He wants your hope to increase by way of your faith growing in the hope of him. that makes sense. The Israelites would have loved to receive the future God was speaking about immediately. They would have loved it, but it actually wouldn't arrive within their generation. That's why it's important to get this verse right. That didn't mean, by the way, that it wasn't hopeful either. It just meant that it would be their children, likely, who benefited from this particular prophecy. It was an edited hope. And by the way, God produces a better edited, God-filled hope when he makes us wait. Because this is hope. Hope is the expectation for God to act, the patience that develops until he acts, and the endurance that comes if he never acts in the time span that you or I desire. That all, that whole big bag of words that I just said, it produces a more hope-filled, hopeful hope. And this is how, by the way, our faith in God grows. And as your faith in God grows, you know what also grows with that? Your hope. So as your faith in God increases, your hope in him and the decisions he makes that you have no clue about or why he's making you wait, your hope actually increases because you're trusting not in the fruition of your dreams and plans, but your hope has shifted to the one who you now know is in control of every dream and every plan that's ever come to mind. We have an expectation that something is wrong. If everything we hope for doesn't come to fruition, don't we? Now what's wrong? What happened? What mistakes did I make? What sin did I commit? Who did I hurt? Why am I being punished We have this expectation that something must be wrong because I'm not getting everything that I thought and hoped and dreamed for. None of it's coming to fruition instead of realizing that maybe a greater fruit is being produced through the pruning that comes through waiting. Dude, do we, I mean, how many times do we have to talk about the last 18 months? How many times do we need to, like, get that through our heads? All of our pushing and our screaming and our stomping because we have to wear a mask. We have to do something that doesn't fall into the level of comfort or lifestyle that we've built for ourselves. And all the while back, we preached these messages about God pruning the church, and we go, yeah, yeah. That's what he's been doing. That's what he's been doing. He's pruning the church, right? He's pruning us. He's giving us a more hopeful hope. He's stripping away that thin layer of confidence that we want to just lie down and wrap around us. He said, I have so much something so much thicker and deeper and beautiful for you. The hope for the Israelites was not whether they'd experienced deliverance from Babylon in their lifetime. Isn't that wild? That wasn't their hope. It was, is God with us even in the exile? Is he alone enough to keep us hopeful if we have a life of hardship to bear? I'm loud and I'm making the kids cry. So hope increases as faith in God grows. And our faith grows. Oh man it grows in seasons of spiritual exile. Maybe this describes a season for you right now. You think man I don't know what exile looked like for the Israelites but it feels like that right now. It feels like the Life, the home, the things I dreamed of couldn't be further away. I think the psalmist helps us in Psalm 39. He says, surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. You see, you hear the hopelessness there? Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? What is it? What am I waiting for? The psalmist says, I don't don't know what's happening to me right now. I don't even, if, if somebody were to ask me, I don't even know what I'm waiting for right now. This is how he finishes the psalm. He says, my hope is in you. That's the place that God was drawing the Israelites back to. And he wasn't being real quick about it. And he's pretty slow about it in our lives, too. So that at some point, we get to a place before the Lord where we go, Lord, let me process what it is that I'm waiting for. And in the midst of all of that, my hope is becoming more hopeful. It's becoming deeper. It's becoming richer because it's centered on you. So the future is the Lord's. Hope increases as faith in God grows. And finally, the best pursuit for our future is God. Your best pursuit, your best life now is for a future with God. So I have a junk drawer or five of them at home. Um, If you looked in my junk drawer, and you're, you're all welcome to do that. Um, It would look exactly like yours, by the way. There are three tape measures, 10 empty cartridges of Scotch tape, 400 pencils, uh, candy wrappers, scissors that I can never find, paper clips, index cards, those were a relic from the 80s, um, and used post-it notes, again, another relic from the 90s. I can keep going, but it's getting boring up here. Um, But it's all things that I search for when I need them, right? Useful things that have a minimal place in my life. What God says is, don't keep me in the junk drawer of your life. Don't see me as a useful tool when you need to get something fixed. The Israelites had a pattern of chasing after foreign gods and other idols and then when they would reached a point where they couldn't make it happen for themselves anymore they would cry out to the Lord and the Lord usually heard them and answered their cry and sometimes he didn't what God is saying is come to the place where you pursue me constantly because I will hear you and when you pursue me with all your heart you will always find me Tim Keller Pastor a uh, former pastor of Redeemer Church in Manhattan, he uh, once said this line. He said, Religious people find God useful. Christians find God beautiful. So when we look at this passage from Jeremiah, if we decide to interpret it as something where it's all about God granting our wishes, where it's all about God being the genie we've always dreamed he would be In our lives. And what we're doing in that moment is we're finding God useful rather than finding Him beautiful. And what that does is is, is it makes us pursuers of God when it works for us. It keeps us intermittent in how we pursue the Lord. In other words, if it if it works for us, if I need that thing out of the junk drawer, I grab it. Generally, I don't. But what this passage tells us is that the best pursuit for our future is God. Not to get what you need, but to find that he is everything you need. He is everything you want. It turns out that God is everything you've desired. Why? Because he's the only thing that is going to remain in your life when all the other desires, the needs, and the wants collapse or dissolve or are replaced by other more important things, right? God is saying, these are the plans I have for you and when you pursue me, all the other things in your life will be revealed in the good time that I reveal them. Let me be the one that provides those needs at the time that it will be at a place that won't destroy you. So instead of just saying, hey God, be my best life now and I'll see you soon. He is reminding us what a life in pursuit of Him looks like. It may be, listen, that some of your plans go into exile, but your heart for God never will because it's in constant pursuit of Him. So I've had my phone up here because I want to read you a Joel Osteen tweet. Um, this is what Joel said. He recently tweeted. You're on the verge of a breakthrough, a healing, a promotion. You're going to be able to say, nothing is missing in my life. That sounds fantastic. Except for when none of that comes true. And I'm not here to just kill Joel Osteen other than to say, do not listen to him. pray for him because this is counter to what we're reading here, right? Because what if you're not on the verge of a breakthrough? What if you're on the verge of a parent dying? What if that's the breakthrough that you're on the verge of? What if you're not on the verge of healing, but you're on the verge of a disease or having a loved one that has a disease that isn't going to make it very much longer? What if instead of a promotion, you're on the verge of losing something that you have, that you need, that is important to provide for your family? What if that's on the docket? because what we know by, from Scripture is that those things are always in view for us. We don't live a triumphant life in that way where we just get to name things and claim things. All of you live lives that, of which that doesn't speak into at all on any level. So again, the goal here isn't to kill Joel. The goal here is to say that is in an incredibly unhelpful message because it is not the more hopeful hope that comes when we are developing and cultivating hearts that pursue God. Regardless of if there's a breakthrough or there's a promotion or we're on the verge of something good. In fact, it's our pursuit of God and what he's doing to our hearts that if we do have those amazing breakthroughs and God grants those to us sometimes They're not going to twist us into thinking that's who we are, that's my identity, and that's what I live for now. Are those breakthroughs? Because here's the thing, God is so good that he has a pattern all through scripture and all through your life of not allowing those to be the only things that happen. All the good things. And he's so good that he does allow some good things to happen. It's just mind-blowing. But he's not obligated for any of that. Psalm 27, verse 7. This is the psalmist coming before the Lord with desperation. I don't know what he's on the verge of, but he says this. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. It's not a promotion that I want my life to be characteristic of always being in a pursuit of. But it's the face of God. So in our pursuit of those things, of our big plans, of our hopeful futures, our lifelong pursuits, we can assume that if God is having a good day, he's going to grant all of our dreams to us. That's what we kind of snap back into, but we look at scripture then like menu items that we get to choose from and hope that the service will be as good as the food, right? What we don't often grapple with is that the Christian life isn't about your future turning out exactly like you planned, but it is about waiting and working and praying and seeking and believing that God has plans for you that go beyond what's available in this life, which by the way, includes seasons of discipline. Turn with me to Hebrews. You're gonna go all the way to the New Testament. I'm gonna finish up here. Hebrews chapter 12. It's not gonna sound incredibly encouraging when I read it, but it is super encouraging when I read it. Hebrews chapter 12, verse five. You can turn there, I'm gonna start reading. And it says this, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons and daughters? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. Listen to the encouragement in that. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. Listen to this. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. The plans God has for us are to be shareholders in his holiness. This was the goal of God for his people and for us as his people. And Jesus has made all of this possible for you. Jesus Christ has made all this possible. God sent him to suffer so that we could be delivered from spiritual exile. This is the plan that God has for us. This is the future and hope in the most ultimate and beautiful of senses that God was speaking here through Jeremiah to his people. It means that all you might have to endure in this life will be worth it because of what's waiting for you in the next. It also means that the exile you might experience in this life is not meaningless because of the spiritual exile Jesus has delivered you from. So this is a message of hope. And you need hope today. I need hope today. You need to know that your sins are forgiven. You need to know that there is life everlasting available in Jesus. This is what we celebrate when we take communion. Deliverance from spiritual exile. We look back at that moment when Jesus died, when he rose again and gave us a future and a hope as he delivered us from the exile of our sin. I'm going to invite the band up. If you want to grab your cup. I'm going to read a passage from 1 Peter 2 that helps us understand what we're remembering this morning as we take communion together. If you're with us this morning and you've not made a commitment to following Jesus, we just ask that you would not take the, the bread in the cup with us this morning that 's not to exclude you it 's just to point out that God has given this it 's a symbolic thing that we take part of in here he 's given this specifically to those who are part of his church. We want to invite you we want to welcome you into this into this church into this family of God that we enjoy through just repenting of your sins, embracing the good news of Jesus, embracing his work, his good work that he did for you on the cross. Um, It's a simple thing. It's a deep thing. It's a heavy thing. But to come to the Lord and say, Lord, you, you have opened up my heart to you and your love and your forgiveness. And I realize that I need that. I realize I can't do it on my own. I will never amount to what it takes to be righteous in your eyes. That's where Jesus comes in. So the call this morning would be to repent of your sins And believe this good news, that Jesus died and he rose again. And there is life eternal for those who put their trust in him. That's the good news. That is the future. That is the hope. That is the plan that God has for you. That is the plan that we all share here today. 1 Peter 2, verse 21 says, For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So if you want to tear off your first layer with the cracker in it, we want to remember now the broken body of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins and the strength and the nourishment that we receive from his spirit as we do this today together. Let's eat. you would take the layer off of your juice we stand here today forgiven washed clean by the blood of Christ and this is symbolic of his shed blood for us we no longer have to live in despair we no longer have to live as people of whom if our hopes and dreams don't come true will be destroyed because we've been given life the shedding of blood of Jesus on the cross. So we drink this now, remembering who we are, identifying with Jesus as the church. Let's drink together. Lord, we thank you for the strength and the nourishment that we receive from your broken body and your shed blood. Let it strengthen and nourish us and remind us of who we are. We are your people. You have given us a future. And a hope. And his name is Jesus Christ. Thank you for this, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.